morning. Uh, Story Bibles, I believe, we're in chapter 20. Uh, If you have your standard Bible today, you can turn to the book of Esther. And mercifully, I needed this, I hope you did too, we're only going to be in one book of the Bible today. So we won't be going all over the place uh, trying to find different passages. You know, there's a question we often ask as human beings. It's one that that, uh, hits us all the time. And it's, where is God? Where's God in this circumstance? Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time I only ask, where is God when I've hurt myself? You know, I stub my toe and I'm like, God, why would you let that happen? I, 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 I trip and I fall, oh, God, what's, where were you? You'd put that rake out there. Anyhow, we're asking the question all the time, where is God? And many of us only ask it when things go wrong. And there's also people that really don't ask it at all and, and they want to stay away from that question. Their head hits the pillow at night. And they're asking, where is God? Who is God? What's God all about? But they'd rather not think about that at this very moment. And then there are folks that, that think about where God is all the time. And they are completely convinced, and they are always of the persuasion that God is in the midst of their circumstance. And usually the ones who believe that God is in the midst of their circumstance are the ones who have the most joy. Well, you know, the question, where is God, has been a question that's been asked of the book of Esther many times, and for a very simple reason. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. And that's led some to believe, well, God's not in the book of Esther. God has nothing to do with the book of Esther. But that is a terrible, terrible mistake, because God is all over the book of Esther. In fact, the book of Esther is a book that we can study, and the way we're going to study it today is recognizing that if we can see God in the average everyday events of somebody's life, or in this case, the extraordinary everyday events of somebody's life, we can begin to understand how God works in our lives as we ask the question, where is God? Esther has information that's incredibly important to us in the story. It's not just a novella. It's not just a short story about one woman's courage, though Esther's courage is remarkable. No, the story of Esther gives us information that we must see to understand the upper story, the overall arc of what God is doing in the world. Esther, and I'm going to play my cards right now, Esther is getting us ready for Jesus. And we're going to see that today. Now, at the point at which we pick up the story, the Jews have been dispersed throughout the world. God's people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 42,000 of them returned to the Holy Land, returned to the Promised Land to rebuild the temple. But many more thousands are around the world. Alexandria, Egypt, Babylon, we'll see today in Susa, in the kingdom of Persia. They're moving into Greece, eventually to Rome. God's people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are spreading out throughout the world. This is called the diaspora or the dispersion. But as they spread out, an interesting thing has happened as a result of their exile. The people of God are holding on to the word of God like they never have before. The people of God, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are actually looking Jewish. They're not going about the religions of the people around them. They're holding on to the religion, the faith of the one true God, Yahweh God, Jehovah God, I am God, existence himself, they're holding on to that faith stronger than they ever have before. And it's going to be incredibly important as we see what takes place in the book of Esther today. Now the story of Esther picks up with King Xerxes, or in some of your Bibles, I'm not even going to try to say the name, it starts with an A. Now they have found evidence that that 
Ahur's house was Xerxes that's in your Bible. But but Xerxes is the king of Persia. They've taken over for Babylon. Remember, the Persians under King Cyrus allowed the Jews to go home. And the story picks up with Xerxes being tremendously embarrassed. You see, his queen was summoned to walk before all of his nobles and officials so that he might show off her great beauty. But his queen refuses to come. She refuses to be paraded. And the king of the greatest empire in the world is so embarrassed that they remove her as queen and send out an edict throughout all of the lands that Persia owns that a new queen for the king needs to be found. That's where we pick up the story. Page 278, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 in the story. When the king's order had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor, and immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her, to, assigned her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place of the harem. You see, here we have Esther who is a Jew by descent, someone who is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and she has not gone back to Jerusalem. She is living in and around the provinces of Persia. And she is known for her beauty, known for, for her attractiveness, and one of the king's officials brings her into the king's harem. Life takes a completely unexpected turn. I doubt that Esther grew up thinking, I'm one day going to vie to be queen of the entire empire. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us how Esther felt about this, but I could imagine it could have been a very overwhelming prospect to be brought into the king's household, to be brought to this point where her life was not her own. She didn't make this choice. It was made for her. Life has taken a completely unexpected turn, yet in the midst of the unexpected turn, God shows his favor. Immediately, the head of the harem, Haggai, takes a liking to Esther. He thinks she's pretty neat. And he gives her special treatment. He raises her to a level of prominence. And he puts her in a place where she can eventually gain influence. This is God's favor. And this is often what takes place in the lives of people. Life can take a very unexpected turn, but we can grow in favor. It reminds me of Joseph. Remember chapter 4 of the story? Joseph didn't want to get sold into slavery, but when he does, he finds favor in the eyes of Potiphar, and he moves into a place of prominence. Joseph didn't want to be put in prison, but when that happens, he rises to prominence and becomes warden of the prison. Joseph didn't assume that he would ever be close to Pharaoh, but when the moment comes, God shows him favor, and Pharaoh shows him favor. Now, at this point, we could look at this all as just a coincidence. Maybe God's not really there. Where is God? Well, he's showing his favor, but he's not quite there. But the story goes just a little bit further. Look at chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, still on page 278. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Queen Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials, and he proclaimed a holiday throughout all the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. God shows his favor once more. Xerxes is taken with Esther. He thinks she is awesome. 
just great. He makes her queen. He gives a banquet. He makes a holiday. He gives out gifts. And all of a sudden, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a scattered servant of God, as we have seen over and over again with people like Daniel and Joseph, rises to prominence within a kingdom that's not even owned by Yahweh God. Here is Esther experiencing the divine favor of the Lord one more time. But there's an interesting thing to note in the story at this point, and it comes in chapter 2, verse 10, still on page 278. We find out that Mordecai has told Esther, now Mordecai is Esther's uncle, her father, if you will, because he's raised her. Mordecai tells Esther, when you go into the king's household, don't tell anybody that you're Jewish. Don't tell anybody that you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, the roots of anti-Semitism were already present in the Persian Empire, we're going to find. Anti-Semitism is the dislike or the hatred of Jews, the descendants of Shem, you know, the three sons of Noah, Ham, Japheth, Shem, the Shemites, the Semites are the descendants of Shem, and they become the Jewish people. They are disliked, they are hated, and we're going to find out why in just a moment. So Mordecai says, Esther, don't say anything. And it's a good thing he does, because at this moment of God's great favor in the life of his people, evil is going to take its stand. And it takes its stand in a man named Haman, a man of the Persian Empire who is chief official to the king Xerxes. Haman thinks he's a big deal, so when he enters the court every day of the king, he expects all the king's servants to bow down. All of them do except one, Esther's uncle, Mordecai. He won't bow down to anybody but God, and he refuses to bow to Haman. And when Haman finds out he's a Jew, this evil man makes a plot to exterminate not only Mordecai, but all of his people. He goes to the king and says, King, I want you to give me the right to make an edict. And the king says, What kind of edict would you like to make? And this is what Haman says in chapter 3, verse 8. We're still on page 278 in the story. Haman said to King Xerxes, Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. They keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from all the other people. They don't obey the king's laws, and it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. And Xerxes says, do what you will, Haman. So Haman takes the king's signet ring, and he writes a letter to all the provinces in Persia, and he says this, on a certain day of a certain month, anybody who would like to is allowed to attack, kill, and plunder the property of any Jews living in their province. You might say, that's a terrible thing. It is a terrible thing. But it's also something that we have seen down through history, is it not? On a single day of a single month, anybody who desires to annihilate the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... You can do that, all because of one man's hatred of the Jews and hatred of Mordecai. Now, certainly there were people out in the provinces who were happy to do this. It's a good way to get rich, and it's a good way to express their hate. And it appeals to all the anti-Semites in the kingdom. Because oftentimes in life when God shows his favor, when he places us in a certain position, and when things begin to go well for us, the enemy loves to stir up trouble. The enemy loves to begin to bring things into our lives that are going to cause us to go, oh, we must not be under the favor of God. Look what happened. As I mentioned, I stubbed my toe. We often look at life and go, God must not be in this because things just got hard. And we just celebrated communion. 
remembering that the Son of God had to die on a cross for our sins. Things do get hard sometimes, and the enemy gives you his best shot. The enemy's best shot is, I'm going to kill the Messiah. God's best shot is, whoops, big mistake. Should not have killed my son. He was perfect. He can't stay dead. He died for everybody. You thought you won. Here it is that I won. God turns the tables even when evil takes its stand. But often in that moment, it's time for God's people to take its stand, and that's why Esther has risen to the prominence that she's in. Mordecai finds out about the plan. He finds out that all of these people throughout all the provinces of Persia are going to exterminate the Jewish people. He goes to Esther and says, Esther, you must go into the king immediately. Get this thing stopped. Esther says, Mordecai, I cannot do that. You see, unless I am summoned to the king and he, 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 he asks me to come, I can't go before him. He literally could kill me for coming when he has not asked me to come. Now you'd say, well, he wouldn't do that to Esther. He likes Esther. Remember, the king has just been terribly embarrassed by his former wife. What if Esther caught him at a bad time? What if the other nobles in the kingdom who were there that day that Vashti wouldn't listen to him looked around and said, well, there's another one. No respect for the king. Esther could have been putting herself in mortal danger, and she says to Mordecai, Mordecai, I don't know that I want to do this. And this is what Mordecai says on page 282 of the story, verse four, chapter 4, verse 14. Esther, verse 14, if you remain silent as this, at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's king, or I'm sorry, you and your family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai says, hey, listen, listen, this edict is going to go into effect if you don't say anything, and we're not going to survive it. I also believe that God will save the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob some other way. They're not all going to be exterminated. I believe that God's given us a promise, and he's going to keep it. But couldn't it just be, Esther, that in the midst of this evil happening, in the midst of this horrible moment, in the midst not only of the Jewish people being being lined up for extermination, but also in this moment where if you go in, you could be an embarrassment to the king and you could be killed. Maybe God has placed you right here, right now, to take your stand. It's time for you to do what God has placed you in this position to do. Could you cause terrible embarrassment to the king? Perhaps. But on the other hand, if God is in it, this might be exactly what he's called you to do. So in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, still on page 282 of the story, Esther, after asking Mordecai and her friends to fast and pray for three days, goes in to the king. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached, and she touched the tip of the scepter. And then the king is asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. God's favor shows up for a third time. Xerxes is delighted to see Queen Esther. He is thrilled that his bride has come to see him, even though she hasn't seen him in a month, it tells us in the story. Wow. God's favor is poured out one more time, 
But for some reason, Esther does not make her request. She doesn't say anything. In fact, she says, you know what, king? I would love for you and Haman to come have a meal with me. And the king says, well, of course we'll do that. We'd be happy to do that. So Esther and Haman, they leave with, with the king, and they have a meal. And guess what? Esther doesn't say anything at that meal either. And you say, was that wisdom on her part? Was that fright on her part? I don't know which one it was. I don't know why she wouldn't just ask him in front of all his officials. I don't know why she wouldn't ask him at this first dinner. All that she said at this first dinner is, will you have dinner with me again tomorrow? Well, the king loves her, so he's like, sure, I'll have dinner with you. Haman's like, hey, the queen likes me. That's cool. I'll have dinner too. So she invites them to a second dinner, but does not yet make her request. But that night, God is going to take his stand and do something in the kingdom that is going to resound through history and pave the way for Jesus himself. Now, months earlier when Esther had become queen, Mordecai had uncovered a plot to kill the king. He'd gone to Esther and said, Esther, listen, the king is to be murdered by two of his guards. And Esther went and told the king, Mordecai's uncovered this plot, and Xerxes' life was saved. Well, look what happens in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. The night after Esther has not shared her request with the king and said, one more day, king, and then I'll give you my request. Look at chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, page 283 in the story. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. And it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. The king asked, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The attendants answered, nothing has been done for him. Xerxes is horrified. He goes out immediately and finds Haman. He says, Haman, what should we do for someone who has done great service to the king? Haman, thinking it's himself, says, well, this is what I would do. I'd put on a royal robe on this guy and let him ride the royal horse. And then I'd send him out in the streets so everybody would know that he's the most awesome guy in the kingdom. And Xerxes says, that's a great idea, Haman. Go get Mordecai. What a great story Esther is, isn't it? So Mordecai is paraded around the city. Haman realizes that he might just be in trouble because he knows the background of Mordecai. I don't know if the delay of Esther was wisdom from God. I don't know if the delay of Esther was fear, but look what happens in just one night by the delay. God takes his stand, and it's going to be incredibly important, not only that Esther has the favor of the king, but that Mordecai has the favor of the king. Let me show you what I mean. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 4, 284 in the story, Esther is finally going to make her request of King Xerxes. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. And Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. The king is furious. Who would 
ordered the destruction of my queen's people. She looks and goes, the guy drinking wine over there. That guy. And Haman, the one who had made plans to exterminate the Jewish people in the Persian Empire, the one who had made it clear that they were to be annihilated, is sentenced to death on that day. But the story is not over. And this is where we often end the story of Esther, right here. We look at Esther and go, thank you, Esther, for being brave. You saved God's people. But we don't read the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is of great import because the king still has an edict that he's made, at least that Haman made in his name, that's telling people to exterminate the Jewish people. So he looks around, he says, well, I just executed my lead advisor. Oh, Mordecai, it's a nice robe you have on. Could you come here? And Mordecai becomes the king's new advisor in this moment. The king says to Mordecai, Mordecai, do whatever it is you need to reverse the edict that Haman has made. Do whatever it is. Here's my signet ring. The same way I gave it to Haman, I give it to you now. Make a decree. And what happens at this point is incredible. Mordecai does not send out a letter saying, stop! He does not send out a letter to reverse the king's edict at all. He does something different. Look at chapter 8, verse 11, 286 in the story. Mordecai makes this pronouncement. The king's edict by Mordecai granted that the Jews in every city had the right to assemble, had the right to protect themselves, and to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. Mordecai doesn't ask for the edict to be rescinded. He asks for a battle. Isn't this interesting? Mordecai doesn't ask for, for simple deliverance. He asks for something even greater. He puts his people in some kind of peril, if you will. Why does he do this? Because whether or not Haman's dead, all of the anti-Semites are still in the kingdom. And they will find a way to persecute the Jews. Look at the book of Esther. Look at the book of Nehemiah. The anti-Semites are there. They're going to want to kill and destroy the Jewish people to annihilate them from the face of the earth. And Mordecai, recognizing this, says, we can't run from the battle. We better have one. And the Jews are allowed to arm themselves and to gather. And look what happens in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, page 287 of the story. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, Haman's edict, commanded by the king, was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. The tables were turned. The Jews were not annihilated. The anti-Semites were destroyed. God didn't seek to save his people for an evening. He sought to save his people for decades and centuries because the root of anti-Semitism was ripped out of all of the provinces where the people of God lived. What a powerful moment. Nobody does the easy thing here. 
Nobody does the easy thing. Esther doesn't do the easy thing. Mordecai doesn't do the easy thing. The Jewish people don't do the easy thing. But they do the thing that God is up to, which is to save his people for the long term. It gets even better than that. Look at chapter 8, verse 17. This is, I'm sorry, i got to turn my page. This is page 287 in the story. Chapter 8, verse 17. In every province and in every city to which the new edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. They were like, hey, the king likes the Jewish people. Cool. Well, I've always liked the religion of Yahweh. I've always thought it was pretty neat. And if they're in with the king, I want to be in with the king too. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll become Jewish. Can you imagine this? I mean, these are, these are the first converts we have seen since they're, they're wandering in the wilderness and they come in with Joshua to the promised land. Converts to the religion of Yahweh, the one true God, I am God, existence himself. People are coming to know God through this. This is awesome. God has made a way for people to come to faith in him. And it's going to happen over and over and over again for the next 450 years. The Jews are going to disperse and they're going to grow greater and they're going to be in every single city of the Persian and the Greek and the Roman Empire. God's people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not all going to be located in Jerusalem. They're going to be located all over the world. And they're going to be holding fast to the religion of the one true God. They're going to be holding fast to the Torah, the Bible. They're going to be holding fast to the prophecies about the Messiah. They're going to be waiting for his expected return. Yes, there was 42,000 who returned with Ezra last week to rebuild the temple. But the importance of that moment is that one day, Jesus himself is going to walk there. And from that place, it's going to do the most important thing that's ever been done in human history. But after he does that, there are going to be followers of Jesus who are going to go out into every city and every nation of these empires and begin to say, the Messiah has come. And if the Jewish people had not been dispersed throughout the nations, they would say, Messiah who? Who are you talking about? We've never heard of anything like this before. We've never heard of the expectation for a once and for all Savior. The Jewish people, they all live in Jerusalem. The Torah, what's that? God's people are all over the nations of the earth. And when the apostles go out to begin to preach about Jesus, they start with God's people. Some of God's people come to the faith, but others don't. But even still, they turn out of the synagogues then and say, hey, look at that Bible. Genesis through Malachi. Look at chapters 1 through 21 of the story. It talks of God's need to bless and save the world through the descendants of Abraham, and he has done it in the person of Christ Jesus. God had a greater plan. We get information here that we don't get in anywhere else in the Old Testament about what God had done, what God had, ex had, had, had accomplished through people like Esther and Mordecai. God's people dispersed throughout the world and saved for posterity for one day the Messiah was coming. But God's not in the story of Esther. He's not in yours either, right? 
No, he is. God is present in our story all the time, weaving things together just like this. You say, I'm not Esther. I'm not going to be first lady in 2040. I'm not Mordecai. I'm not going to be the chief of staff in 2045. No, you might not rise to that type of prominence, but I want to tell you today that the same tapestry that God has woven throughout history that includes Esther and Mordecai and the dispersed Jews, you're on it. You, right now, you're in that tapestry. You are a thread in what God has been creating since the dawn of time. You're part of that tapestry. Your life is part of that. Even when life takes unexpected turns, God is there. And he might just be placing you right where he needs you for today. You say, I didn't expect to to be here in my life, at this school or at this job or at this church or in this community. Well, here you are. And could it not just be possible that this is the place that God has placed you and he's wanting to pour out his favor on you right now to put you in a position to do something great for his people and his kingdom? Could it just be? Could it just be that his favor is waiting to be bestowed upon you? And could it just be that that the hardships and when evil takes a stand in your life that God's not caught unaware? Could it just be? Could it just be that when you face trials, when you get sick, when you're down and out, when people come against you, when you're humiliated, could it just be that God's not caught unaware by it? Could it just be the vehicle by which his greatest ministry will come through your life? Could it just be? Could it just be? Could it just be that at that moment he will encourage you to take a stand for him? Could it just be that when you take your stand and you do the thing that's hard and you do the thing that's unexpected and you do the thing that God's word calls you to do, could it just be that when you take your stand, God will stand up in your faith and show himself to be real? Could it just be that he would stand up in your faith and unfold his plan in your life? Could it just be? Because that's what God does. He places us. He favors us. He's not caught unaware by the evil in our life. He's encouraging us to take our stand for him, and he is unfolding his plan in our lives. Could it just be? No, God, the name of God is not mentioned in Esther but he's all over it. And you might look at your life and go, you know what, I can't always say that I know what God is doing, but I promise you today, on the basis of the word of God, that he's all over your life. He's all over it. Would you stand up for him and allow him to unfold his plan for you? Let's pray.